John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 129.PS1828, certificate number 50165, Blackout 77. Good evening, I'm Larry Kane. Our big story on Eyewitness News is the live picture you see directly behind me. Suddenly, light and brightness out of a 24-hour darkness. The bright patchwork of the second night of the great New York energy crisis of 1977. When I think about it now, I realize that I should have named my band Blackout 77, like back in 1991. It sounds like some disaster movie that has does. You know, some 70s. It's got Steve McQueen and it's got <laughs> Betty Davis. Yeah, Blackout 77. But what a cool like punk rock band name that would have been. There's probably already a band called Blackout 77. If there's not, don't start one because I've got dibs on the name. You just said dibs. And legally, nobody can do it now. That's right. Dibs. It's legal. It's, uh, it's, that's universal maritime law. Habeas dibus. Mm-hmm. Um, you love New York City. I do. It's the city uh, that never sleeps. It's the city that never stops. It's the city that, that pops and, and bops. That's what they're always saying. <laughs> Remember when Ed Koch used to say that? Yeah. The city yeah. that pops and bops. I'm Ed Cops. <laughs> Who uh, loves you, baby? I really do love New York City, too. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people love New York City. There are a lot of people listening to the show in New York City. You think so? I think so. Right now. And I think- Or in the future ruins of New York City. (laughs) Some of them are looking out the window going, I love New York City too. And some of them are looking out their window on a bricked up uh, elevator shaft going, I don't love New York City. These guys don't know what they're talking about. Woody Allen is listening. Yes. And so there's a clarinet playing and he's like- I love New York out of all proportion. I think part of what we love about New York City, you and uh, I. Let's say it on the count of three. Just you and One, I. two, three. We don't dogs. have to live there. <laughs> we don't have to live there. That is exactly right. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, I really wanted to live in New York for a long time. I still do. But every time I've stayed there, uh, I've stayed there long enough to start feeling like I lived there. Um, there's definitely a hump that you have to get over where you have to get used to people yelling at you in the street. And sometimes it smells like hot trash. It smells bad. And it's really hot there in the summer. So hot and really cold in the winter. 
we just went in April and it was a game changer. Was it? <laughs> yeah. What happened? It was just didn't, the temperature didn't actively suck every yeah. second. Yeah. Which is what happens if you go in the summer or in yeah. the winter. April and October, pretty great, aren't they? People complain about Seattle weather, but we have a lot of seasonal privilege. Here. Yeah. It's never that hot and it's never that cold. Or when it is, it's extremely rare. I spent, I lived in New York for a summer uh, in 2001. And it was so hot and it was the kind of hot that it never broke like at night. It, yeah. it was just still 103 degrees at four o'clock in the morning. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that there was not, there was not even a breeze, not even a little breeze. I've had, I've had that and I've been snowed in in yeah. New York. You know? and, and, and as cold as you've ever been. And I'm from Alaska, but like not ever as cold as it is there. I was there sometime right before Christmas, which is kind of a fun time in New York. Oh, so fun. And uh, But I was there with, uh, I was doing some Jeopardy promos and that Brad Rutter from the, you remember him from the Go Tournament. I do remember Brad. Happened to be there and he was just, I remember just being in the car with him heading to whatever and he was just looking out the window, just shaking his head and I was like, New York and Christmas, this is great, right? And he's like, I can't wait to get back to LA. Like, this is why I moved to the West Coast, just to get away from, like, to him, it was a hellscape. Yeah. And I was, I was still kind of happy to be there. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, um, I think New York, if you don't have to live there and yet can, can afford to go there and not. And still have fun. Yeah. And still, I mean, it's, you, you don't have to stay at the Mandarin Oriental, but, but, you know, to, to be able to stay in a place and eat out in restaurants. Um, Endless variety. God, it's a wonderful, into a few square miles. wonderful town. But growing up in the West, in the United States, West, in the Western States. I thought you meant like not in the Eastern Bloc. Yeah. Growing up in the old West is what I meant <laughs> as a cattle rustler, son of a cattle rustler on the frontier. Right, New York loomed so large, and this may be one of those uh, generation gap things between you and me. Just the, just the a matter of a smattering of years. Um, by the time you were aware of New York, it probably was on its way back. It was swinging back up. Yeah, and, and to the degree that it wasn't, to the degree that you know Times Square was still super seedy or whatever, I wasn't really that aware of it. Like to me, New York was still you know, 40s movies mm -hmm. or uh, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan show. You know, it was also Letterman jokes about garbage and rats. Right. But that to me, that was just standard kind of big city stuff that you would say about anything. Yeah, he was having fun with it. Like I only became aware of the kind of the gritty bad 70s New York dying after people started complaining about it going. Oh, and right. The when they and were the like, eh, what happened? Oh, there's an M&M store now. Yeah, people, there's no more crime. <laughs> <laughs> When I was a kid in the in the mid 1970s, New York was synonymous with urban decay and uh, unrest and bankruptcy, insolvency, cities becoming post-apocalyptic environments, kind of most famously, I guess, uh, depicted in Escape, Escape from New York. <laughs> you, thought, you thought that was a documentary. I mean, watching it as a, uh, watching it in 1981, uh, yeah, I would have been, what, 12 years old, and it really felt like a, uh, like this was a, an inevitable state of affairs, that New York was going to end up a, a walled prison camp um, 
run by gangs and you know and comic book gangs like like yeah, uh, they're like they've got ninja weapons and yeah. they're whipping chains in the air. Yeah, the warriors, right? But you know, oh, this is the gang. This is the gang that dresses like uh like ye old Englishmen and <laughs> this is the gang this that got speaks only and, French yeah. and yeah. Um but all of that escape from New York kind of uh comic book version of it in the early 1970s and mid 1970s uh New York really did feel like a harbinger of uh, of the idea that cities were unsustainable that cities were a mid 20th century invention cities were the problem and that there was no that that um and and a lot of it is is a product of the the white flight problem or the yes. you know as um as american manufacturing declined and as uh as i mean all the the uh the goulash of of symptoms of the mid 60s that produced a kind of burgeoning suburbia a civil rights started to scare white people enough that they would actually um commute an hour to work and and all of the things that went uh that kind of went along with a, a vision of the city as a place where social welfare was was part of the uh the way cities were built um produced kind of i mean the uh, these complex s- sort of systems of like the rise of labor unions but also the rise of what, what i think in the reagan years was called the welfare state or even in the johnson years right the welfare state that that a lot of that stuff wasn't properly funded as People as the as the business class moved out to the suburbs, the tax basis that funded a lot of the social welfare pro- programs in the city was eviscerated, mm-hmm. and so there wasn't a way to fund, and it became a self recapitulating right. problem. Right. Well, there's good schools and bad schools. Where right. are you going to move? Exactly. But New York also, you know, as America's premier city, was a place where all of the sort of you know, the big events, the big cultural events of America all kind of debuted there, right? You think of the, of the, um, you know, the urban riots, but also this is, New York is where Stonewall happened. Like New York mm-hmm. is where, um, all of the kind of cultural stuff was, was tried out, I guess. This is where urban renewal was first kind of practice. This is where the, Robert Moses, the, Robert Moses, this do is an experiment on a whole generation of, uh, of, uh, <laughs> poor people, right? This is where neighborhoods were torn down to build freeways for the first time. This is where urban preservation got its start because people got frustrated with all of the great things being torn down. Um, but New York also is where the mass blackout was first debuted. <laughs> they first tried it out. Or they first ran it by people. Shouldn't they try it out in like New Haven or Philadelphia first, like a musical, and then see if it plays in New York? <laughs> no, this was one where they said, let's just take it to let's just take it to Broadway. <laughs> um in November of 1965, there was a uh what began as a kind of well, began like all these great stories. It began as a power surge in Niagara Falls. Um, really? Yeah. 
The uh, how much of New York's power is hydroelectric? Well, not that much, but what um, I would have assumed not. What was happening by the mid sixties? Only was, our Cascadian utopia gets. That's right. We are the ones that get to make aluminum cans for cheap. Because we're, we're so much, we're so morally <laughs> superior because we chose to live in a place with raging rivers. We murdered our salmon for, so that you could watch TV all night. So, you know, power grids are a uh, are a system where you benefit from economies of scale, right? I mean, in the early days of electric power, um, there was a kind of, uh, there was a battle between whether it was going to be alternating current or direct current. But mm-hmm. once it was established that in the United States, alternating current was going to be the dominant system. Once Edison fried that elephant. Right, exactly. Uh, and Tesla uh, had to go, you know, send a, a Corvette into space or whatever Tesla ended up doing. Tesla, um, I think he maybe communed he with ancient gods mm-hmm. and uh, disappeared mm-hmm. from our our plane altogether. Yeah, his head is frozen and will be re- it still, reawakened. It still speaks in Eldritch <laughs> languages once a year on Tesla's birthday. But what you know, what uh, what a power network does is it enables different power generating stations to kind of equalize the load, direct it to where it's most needed. If everybody, uh, you know, if it's really cold over here, you can assume that people are going to need more electricity than down here. And electric grids they develop over time. And there are a lot of different power stations as part of grids that are generating powers different ways. There's hydroelectric, there's nuclear, there's uh, a lot of power stations still are burning bunker oil, yeah. natural gas. Less coal than there used to be. Less coal, and but still lots of coal. And so, you know, this distributed power is, um, you know, it, it is capable of a lot of efficient moving stuff around, but it's a, it's a dependent network. And the problem is that, um, power, power lines can get overloaded. Systems can get overloaded and there are breakers, uh, in, within the system to keep things from exploding. Um, good. Right. I'm in favor of that. But if some, if a breaker gets tripped, that power, the power that was formerly headed that way needs to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, in ye olden times, by which I mean 1965, and as we'll see, uh, decades subsequent, uh, if there's not a if there's not a place where some over uh, where the overruns can safely travel, a a broken switch can cause a cascading effect, where uh, a surge of power trips a breaker, then that surge goes somewhere else. It trips a subsequent breaker. All these systems are, are built to recover from these problems really quickly, but it doesn't take much for, uh, for a problem to go to, to become a cascading problem. One of the things that I, I wasn't aware of is that when, uh, when power surges through a power line, it actually can heat up the the connectors and cause the power line to droop because you know the heat expands the the metal that runs that that holds the system together so it's not taut anymore and then the line droops down and hits a tree 
and shorts out. Like <laughs> a, a lot of these, a lot of the high tension wires, part part of the reason you can't let them get too hot is that they actually they stop being high tension. Will stop being high. They tension. They start being like maybe medium to medium high tension wires. Which I had, I, I I guess it just never occurred to me, or you would think that that would be something that you would really design around. Right. At five o'clock thereabouts um, on Tuesday, November 9th, 1965, uh, a cascade of power resulted from a, from a, a broken or, you know, like a relay popping at a Niagara Falls power plant. And it started this kind of like, the the power got redirected to a, another system where another breaker snapped and then there was a surge and this one had to go offline. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be an electrical engineer. I think it's clear that you are overqualified for that job. I don't want to describe it in great greater detail than this because really it's not necessary you're that just, you know. You're interested in the sociological <laughs> effects yeah. of what happened to these breakers. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you're, some you're things not, happened. You're not uh, like Scotty on the Enterprise. Some That's right. So he can't get enough power. In many cases, we can't get enough power. They can't get enough power. We all have a lot in common with Scott. Aren't we all Scotty sometimes? Uh, there's a part of me that's Scotty. I know there's a part of you that's Scotty. I'm the part of Scotty that's going to go into the reactor and sacrifice himself for the greater good, except it's never Scotty it's that does that. It's more of a Spock thing, yeah. yeah you'd, really, you'd, th- you'd think the engineer would be in charge of that, but yeah, no. He's the one that's out there like, no, don't go in. <laughs> and then, you know, not really a hero. She cannot stand the strain. <laughs> I can't get enough power, Captain. Anyway... So here we are, five o'clock at night. Uh, shopkeepers are setting up, you know, closing up shop. It's a cold night. Everybody's on their way, commuting home, and the power starts shutting down. There's a kind of famous story that uh, that there was a DJ playing playing some hit records, and um, he noticed that the tracks sounded the his records sounded started. Sound like slowed down. <laughs> Wait, is that a thing? The power kind of s- congeals like maple syrup before it goes out. Yeah, as the as the grid was starting to uh, to come apart, power which normally was at sixty hertz going into the radio station started to decline and got as far down as like the low fifties. And it, the result was like the lights were flickering and the record players. <laughs> See, that doesn't happen with CDs. They, That's right. They would just stutter. They would just stop completely. And by 5.30, uh, power had gone off for over 30 million people in Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, and most of Ontario, uh, power completely shut off. And, you know, it's cold, but also it's the middle of the commute. Um there were hundreds of thousands of people trapped in subways and on roads, uh, or, or I'm sorry, on trains, electric trains. Um, it was a big fiasco, but uh, in a kind of inspiring way, um, the uh, the Northeast all kind of banded together in a in a sort of, uh, we can do this 
style of like um, people bundled up their spare electricity and mailed it to new york they did well no people in new york bundled up their their uh you know they, babies yeah they bundled up their babies they uh, they shook off the strain it was a they, uh, they were lucky it was a full moon so everybody could um could get around navigate um and during the uh during the 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 power outage which lasted overnight. Uh, it was reported the lowest crime rates ever in the history of New York. Everybody presumably went home, lit a candle, lit another candle, uh, rubbed their hands together over the, over the fire of the candle. And, uh, all those lazy criminals. Yeah. They, they need electricity if they're going to go. They did. Crimes. 1965, I guess the criminals were still very, um, very electricity dependent. Yeah, they didn't have um, the battery technology we have today, thanks to Elon. But I think it really was it had a lot to do with, the, with with a couple of factors. One, the 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 low crime rates and the low rates of like overall disturbance mm-hmm. uh, had a, a couple of factors. One of them was it was a cold night in November. And it was, uh, and the, the blackout happened after 5 PM. It was on a Tuesday. Uh, the shops were already all closed. It just made sense for people to go home and stay home. And this was, uh, this was kind of widely regarded as like a fun little moment where everybody, everybody. Like a snow day. Yeah. It was like a snow day. Everybody rallied together. There was actually a Doris Day movie made about the the blackout called Where Were You When the Lights Went Out, Mm -hmm. which became kind of a catchphrase for, you know, a certain kind of, yeah, idea of what it was like to live in a city and and, um, how you could make uh, lemonade out of lemons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, most people would make lemonade out of lemons. There's not a lot of other ingredients that make very good lemonade. But I mean, if you're not trying to make lemonade, if you just have lemons. You're just like rubbing them in people's paper cuts. It's just not necessarily the first thing you would think of. I'm going to make lemonade. You'd think, oh, I have all these lemons, right? Like what's... When life gives you lemons, like what what else would you do? Make lemon pie. That might be better, actually. Yeah. Maybe the expression should be when life gives you lemons, make lemon pie. Or lemon wine. Why does no one drink lemon wine? Is that even a thing? Well, that's what I'm wondering. There's, Maybe the there's, citrus. There's limoncello, though. I mean, you can make liqueurs out of. That's what it would be. You'd have to make like a, like a, some kind of squeaka. People don't want wine to be um, sour. Right. But liquor. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. L- liquor's quicker. Mm, I guess. Yeah. Depends on what you're trying to yeah, do. Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> quicker than what? <laughs> quicker than any other alternative. Quicker than candy, which is dandy. But 1965 also kind of began, uh, it, it, you know, the 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 problems of American cities were already well in motion by 1965. But but from 1965 to 1975 is when most of the fallout from this era in the United States really started to. That's when New York took it on the chin. Well, and and a lot of cities, right? Detroit, Chicago, Boston, L.A. I mean, uh, this was a time when cities were not seen as necessarily the future. Um, In 1966, John Lindsay was elected president. We talked about the 
the uh, Questlove documentary a few episodes ago, right. John Lindsay makes a a pretty cool cameo in that film. And although Lindsay was a Republican, he was widely, uh, I mean, he was well regarded in Harlem. And there were still liberal Republicans in New York politics in 1960s, 1970s. Yeah, and he was truly a guy that seemed like he he liked people and people liked him. And he he made a good effort at um, managing New York City. But Lindsay was presiding over a time where there were factors, you know, well beyond his control. And a lot of them I described already. There were a lot of... Uh, uh, there were a lot of strikes, teacher strikes, sanitation strikes that kind of caused, um, what would you say? Uh, again, big quality of life issues. Yeah. For... A cascading sense that the city was a little bit, uh, that was, be, uh, was becoming untenable. Yeah. Um, but also it was still a, a, a city really in the national consciousness. Like I said, Stonewall start uh, was in 69, but it was also a city where the feeling was, and I think nationally, a feeling that it was, it was, um, corruption was endemic there. If you think about 1971, the movie Serpico kind of described a feeling that the police had become a completely corrupt and unmanageable institution. But it's still like a world, it's, the tension is it's still a world capital of fashion and finance and all these kind of well-heeled glamorous um uh pursuits yeah and yet at the street level you know it's the city's nearing bankruptcy am i am i getting the dates right you are so i mean so even as all this is happening i mean johnny carson moved to burbank from uh from new york in 72 kind of with a lot of those uh letterman-esque jokes about like garbage and rats a lot in of TV New York. production left. Yeah. You know, all the game shows headed West soap operas did not, but also the world trade center was opened in 1973. So there was still a feeling that New York was, was the center. Uh, but, but culturally was being carved out. Yeah. And the bankruptcy that you're describing was a, was kind of a, um, this sort of mid century mid seventies moment where the tax base could no longer support the social services that were kind of key or core to the city's identity as a place that the middle class or the working class could still live. And eventually the city was unable to, um, unable to support itself in 1973. Uh, the new mayor, a beam Inherited a city that was uh, that was on its on the verge of insolvency. Mm-hmm. Um, it couldn't pay its bills, and nobody really wanted to help it. There, there was not a, there wasn't a tax base to support it, and most of the um, most of the city employees. What would you say the 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 overall kind of um, the payroll? Uh, nobody was interested in austerity, uh, reform, right? There was a, there was a lot of talk. They're not going to take, you know, they're not going to take it on the chin. Right. There was a lot of talk about, oh, we needed to, um, we needed to tighten up our belts and, uh, everybody agreed. But in fact, 
like the, the city issued a hiring freeze in order to kind of get their budgets under control. But that year hired 13,000 new people. <laughs> um, and then they threatened or they, they claimed they were going to lay off 8,000 people, but only 436 people actually were removed from the payroll. Like there was a lot of uh, reticence to pay the piper, kind of like the Greek economic crisis of a few years ago. Nobody wanted to be the one sure. to make the sacrifice. Austerity looks good on paper. Yeah. The city then actually on the verge of, of bankruptcy. And this was, a, you know, in all the newspapers at the time, New York bankrupt, uh, it, it fell to the governor of New York, Hugh Carey to step in and say, the state will pay your bills, but the city has to turn over its financial management to the control of the state of New York. And is this before, or after the famous appeal to the Ford administration? Uh, so this is right during that period, right? The Ford administration, the famous headline Ford to city drop dead or, yeah. or whatever. It was. The, the, the Ford administration initially told the city it had to solve its own problem. Um, and so the state of New York formed under Hugh Carey formed this municipal assistance corporation that took the city's debt and bundled it into bonds and then set about the, these sort of draconian policies. They were going to freeze wages. They were going to lay a bunch of people off. They were going to hike subway fares. Um, this is always the kind of stuff that leads to unrest. Yeah. And most crucially, uh, they were going to start ch uh, charging tuition for uh, the city of New York state schools. For public schools? Yeah, well, no, not for public, for college. Oh, for the CCNY. Got it. They were going yeah, to start ch charging college tuition, which... Again, is in all the headlines. Um, the bonds didn't really, weren't super successful with banks. Um, and eventually Congress had to step in and give two and a half billion dollars to the city of New York to keep it solvent. Um, and this is all sort of leading up to the summer of 1977. Um, but there was a lot else going on in New York in the summer of 77. We've talked in the past about Star Wars, Star Wars. They were also filming the movie Superman in 1977 in, in New York. In New York. Yeah. yeah. Rex Reed is there. Um, but, um, but also this was the summer of the son of Sam mm. after a year of son of Samming. The son of Sam was still son of Samming in the summer of 77. His dog did not let him take the summer off. Nope. Or his neighbor's dog. I nope. Guess. Or Satan, Satan dog. Yeah. His neighbor's dog was Satan, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there was a mayoral election and um, the other candidates in the race were Bella Obzug, Ed Koch, and Mario Cuomo. All running for mayor. That's like the next 20 years of New York <laughs> politics. It's all happening. <clears throat> and enter into this uh, situation a July weekend where the temperature is at the boiling point. Um, it's a sweaty New York summer where the heat doesn't break. Are kids, are kids taking the tops off fire hydrants? They are. They're out there. Uh, 
spraying water all over passing cars. People are listening to music on there. Loud disco. Loud disco. Well, yeah, right. I guess disco happening. Probably proto-punk rock. Although that doesn't figure into the story at all. I don't think that's what you'd be hearing as you walk down most streets. Um, And at 8.30 at night, there's sort of a heat lightning storm that comes over New York. And initially, the first lightning strike that has uh that that begins this spectacular cluster flip um happens whoa pardon my french <laughs> happens at, around 8:30 uh, at the indian point nuclear plant that's not where you want a lightning strike it it tripped a circuit and uh they tried to get it back online but there was a there there was actually literally a loose nut that kept the circuit breaker from from restoring itself. It was that guy from Airplane hold, <laughs> hold, holding the plug like, <laughs> I picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue. Indian Point Nuclear Plant, by the way, just closed a year ago. The finally closed the final reactor a year ago. Maybe ill-advisedly. We probably should not have been closing nuclear plants for the last 50 years, it, it turns out. It turns out that there... There were other... There were more <laughs> urgent environmental issues related to oil and coal. And we... Uh, there are still uh, power plants in New York that are burning bunker oil to uh, make heat. So closing Indian Point uh, maybe pushed us back on the uh, climate change a little bit. But we definitely don't have any um, like Three Mile Island worries it's true but it uh it tripped a circuit and it began a kind of uh a, another blackout cascade you would think that they would have learned from the 65 cascade and and they had but it was a much bigger world now and a lot more uh power plants online a lot more sort of um Opportunities for tumbling dice. Does summer mean you also have air conditioning stretching the the grid to its limits? Super, uh, and part partly it is that there was tremendous demand in the form of air conditioning, um, and also you know it's eight o'clock at night, so everybody's home, um, and so as the as the breakers flipped, you know there was there was this. Uh, abundance of electricity that had nowhere to go and it and it began the cascading shutdowns as one after another power plant was sending more power along the line than the line could support um and what's interesting is you know in trying to supply what what ends up happening is a a a breaker will flip and what you, what the power company wants to do is put more power online to support the people who have just lost power. But if the gate isn't open, that power then causes more problems. Causes elsewhere. more problems because it gluts other places. I'm talking about power as though it is syrup going through a tube. I mean, it's not the it's not the worst way to think of it. Which is the internet. I basically. think you're encouraged to think of it as flowing water when when you're a kids studying circuits and that that makes sense con edison tried to um to get a fast start uh station up online but but when they sent the signal there there was nobody there uh because it's new york in the 70s 
And so that didn't work. And then there was another lightning strike uh, that shut down a power station in Yonkers. And then there was a, a, like a confusion between two different power, uh, two different groups of people in the power grid, um, a group called the power pool who were kind of managing the overall system sent a message to Con Edison saying they needed to shed load, which, uh, by which they meant like dump, like turn off massive amounts of power in this grid, like get rid of 1500 megawatts of power out of here. Otherwise we're going to have, you know, the system's going to blow. blow. Con Edison going to blow culturally used shed load to mean, you know, very slowly and gradually decrease load by 5%, you know, 6%. It was just institutionally, it meant, a different, a, more, it meant a small, more gradual yeah, thing, like, thing. Oh, shed load instead of like basically. So the urgency was not conveyed to them. Yeah. What, what do you think they would have said instead of shed load? They would have turned s- off, shut it all down. Uh, I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. So what, power companies need to get together on what shed means. I think they figured it is out what now. I, is what I'm taking away from this. Yeah. Um, I love stories like this where it's some human misunderstanding, some bozo using centimeters instead of inches or whatever. I mean, it really humanizes the uh, institutional failures that are going to kill us all. Well, you know, and this would have been a long time before uh, like it being a question of not understanding the tone of a text message, yeah. right? This would have been There's somebody a phone. holding a black phone talking to somebody else. But he was he was some, uh, you know, bureaucrat with uh, horn room glasses and he was a little too... Yeah, the power pool guy was like, we need you to shed some load over there. The other guy was like, all right, we'll get started shedding the load. And it's like, wait a minute, I meant 1,500 megawatts, not one megawatt. Come on, Con Ed. Um, And at 927, the the sort of largest power plant in the system, a power plant at Ravenswood called Big Alice, uh, was knocked off. And... That began a complete shutdown. And the the blackout was not anywhere near as big as the one in 1965, uh, which was, you know, over 30 million people. This blackout was really more or less confined to the city of New York. Island of Manhattan or Outer Boroughs too? Uh, Outer Boroughs too. I I think Staten Island might have kept their power on. Um, But... New York all shut down and I'm looking to see what TV shows would have been airing that night. And what were they? A summer in Wednesday, 1977. Yeah. Charlie's Charlie's angels. Nobody saw the second half of Charlie's angels or or no Beretta. Maybe, uh, all in the family. And then Alice. No, no, I guess if it's summer, it would have been the CBS Wednesday night movie. So who knows? Uh, three girls, three, a summer variety show with Debbie Allen and Ellen Foley. Wow. I'd never heard of this. Seems like they didn't miss that much. Beretta. If you were watching Beretta, that's kind of a bummer. And then you never got to Charlie's Angels at 10. To this day, probably a lot of people have not seen that episode of Charlie's Angels. No, I bet you they all have. They all had Nick at night. <laughs> um, well, and at first it felt kind of like a party, like 1965, except it was hot summer night. So everybody... You know, out on the fire escape. Yeah. Restaurants kept, um, 
kept serving by candlelight and it, it started to feel like kind of a big party. Um, but as the night wore on, uh, people started looting and, you know, the causes have been debated a thousand times, but we've kind of, uh, described what the causes were. There was, there were no city services for a million people. The city had, the city was already falling apart. And more than that, you know, faith in city institutions had long fallen apart. And, and because it was the 1970s, like, uh, sort of similar to today, there was a sense of, of the tremendous divide in the country and no longer a feeling that, um, that there was any obligation to maintain a, a, a feeling of group solidarity. Uh, it, it was a city divided and a nation divided. What I've learned from the inevitability of looting at times like this is really just that it must be a there, but the grace of God scenario, you know, that every single person, if facing years of those kinds of inequities, um, is suddenly faced with, you know, disorder in the streets, I guess everybody decides they want a TV, you know, it's, there's not really a, a moral component to it at all. If, if it's so common, you know, and, and, and I, I think a major factor, um, is the kind of just like exasperated frustration of a heat wave, but also this all happened, you know, after dark, like the power went off at not at five in the afternoon, but at nine thirty at night, and something kind of scary about that. Something scary, but also something kind of um, like liberating, or uh, like the the feeling of a it's warm summer night. The rules don't apply now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're not you're not confined to your home by freezing cold. In fact, you're you're you want to be out. Yeah. You want to be out. And so starting in Brooklyn, um, there started to be looting and fires and, um, riots and the rioting kind of spread throughout the night in a way that, that New York was unprepared for, but the blackout lasted 24 hours. Wow. So the following day, there was no sign of reprieve. This means I need to look at the Thursday night TV schedule too. All the food was, all the food in restaurants was spoiling. Everybody's fridges. Yeah. Um, there's no, you know, there's, there's no power to anything. So people are just forced out on the street and, the looting and the rioting continues throughout the day so that, you know, police and fire are trying to manage like a super complex situation that spans multiple boroughs to the extent that in Brooklyn, um, the uh, Broadway runs between Bushwick and, and Bed-Stuy. Yeah. And, 35 blocks of Broadway between those two neighborhoods 
was was looted and burned to the ground. So that so it's like do the right thing, but times one billion. Times one billion. Um, there were sixteen hundred different stores damaged, over a thousand fires in the city. Um, most arson, I'm guessing, right? That's not a that's not a normal number of no mo- most fires. arson. I mean, you know, but b- city burning like like you would see in the Martin Luther King riots. Yeah. Um, it was a, you know, it was an ex- expression of frustration that just went, um, that just exploded outward in a way that I don't think people were prepared for. And this was the New York that I think I, maybe one of my first memories of thinking of New York as a place was. It's on fire. It's on fire. And and on fire in a way that felt like, and of course the coverage of the riots um, was extremely racist. racist. <laughs> Let's all say um, that Like if you read the accounts in the New York Times or in Time Magazine, it's like, oh, all these frustrated uh, Hispanics and blacks are out burning the city. Although in a lot of the photographs taken of of stores being looted, it's really kind of a, like a, it's just everybody who wanted the consumer good. It's really a melting pot. <laughs> oh, that's nice. A pan racial. Yeah. Right. Only one person died in the entire riot. And it was an Italian kid, uh, who was killed in a sort of mobster kind oh. of uh, <laughs> murder that they never possibly unrelated <laughs> to anything having to do with the grid. Yeah, not, not really, but it was a, it was an opportunity, right? Dominic, uh, Sissoni was just, um, <laughs> this was, this was a, a moment where, uh, like Clemenza said, yeah, well, hey, we're, we're going to get rid of Dominic while we're at this. Um, over 550 cops were injured. Wow. And, um, well, Almost 4,000 people were arrested, like mass arrests of people looting. And presumably they have power in the jail cells. Well, no, they didn't. Or in a lot of cases they didn't. In fact, it was almost suggested. Precincts didn't have generators? Yeah. Well, so there were like, for instance, the World Trade Center had power on the ground floor. Like there were buildings in New York that had their own generators. Hmm. Um the, uh, the, there was a suggestion that they actually reopened the tombs, which was <laughs> New York's like t- terrible, uh, like dark ages jail that had just recently closed, reopen it just to hold all of these, um, you know, this 4,000 different people that had been arrested. Ultimately, the result was that it was estimated that the damage was over $300 million to the city of New York, which in 1977 dollars was over a billion dollars in damage Yeesh. in today dollars. How much of that was studio 54? Uh, it wasn't, o- wasn't open in seven. Oh, it was open in seven. It, it would have just opened maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is, Oh, this is summer 77. Well, it's close. Yeah. Studio 54 would have been, would have just opened in, uh, in April of that year. It would be nice to think that all the celebs were safe in there. Yeah. 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 Mick Jagger, Knew that he was going to be okay. That was on a different part of town. He had brought some beef jerky with him. Um, one of the best stories, at least from my perspective, is that during the rioting in Brooklyn, um, they broke into the Ace Pontiac dealership and stole 50 brand new Pontiacs. Um, 
Isn't it like, easy to trace brand new Pontiacs? Kids, or? you know, they came in, they like, they hotwired them and drove them one after another out out onto the street. I mean, I don't know. I don't think you... How much gas do you put keep in a car at a dealership? I guess you need... Yeah, run down the street, loot some gas, come back, start up the Pontiacs. I mean, 77 Pontiacs. Not the best year of Pontiacs, but... Interestingly, the the blackout felt like maybe it was the final nail in the coffin of New York. It's it's a big part of what fueled the the uh, the depiction of New York as an unsavable place. Things can't get any worse than this. And it's true. By 1979, over a million people had left the city of New York. A uh, and, and New York wouldn't regain that population until the 1990s. I guess were rents cheap for a while. I'm thinking about how, how like Seattle was so artificially cheap to live in for many years because of contraction. Like, I wonder if that's what gives you, you know, new wave and post-punk and you know, just ton of cheap rents for artists and whoever in the Bowery and Lower East Side. It's absolutely true that throughout the eighties, New York was, um, until Trump bought all the real estate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he ever got that close. But yeah, until the 1990s. I mean, but but you think about Alphabet City and and um, like those places were, and Times Square was still very scary to me in 19 in the late 1980s. Well, let's all thank one of your favorite people, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, thanks, for Rudy, for coming in. All those broken windows. The broken you windows. Got to unbreak the windows. You need a glazier. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't until it wasn't until the 90s that New York regained its footing, but there's a there's a legend and it's not clear whether the uh, opinions vary. But the the legend is that during the riots, all of the stereo stores and, you know, AV music stores and so forth uh, were looted and that that was what precipitated the dawn of hip hop. Because suddenly everybody had a turntable. Everybody had two turntables and a microphone. <laughs> um, and there, there, there's some pushback on that. Um, but, but that, that case has been made. And I remember after the Rodney King riots, which happened in the early nineties, hip hop immediately got so good on the West coast. No, it was, uh, I was at a party and a guy came through and he had some, he had like three guitars that had been looted during the Rodney King riots and he was trying to sell them to people at the party. And I remember there kind of being an influx of black market goods in the immediate aftermath that, uh, you know, were kind of in that underground economy. What did you buy? Uh, it's purple Telecaster, but I ended up giving it to a girl. And that concludes Blackout 77, entry 129.PS1828, certificate number 50165 in the omnibus. Future links, no doubt you come from a post-electric society at all. Um, you just get straight geothermal directly from the Earth's core. Uh, never turn into electricity, just... Just warm your homes with that. Just use it. Bummer about winter, or bummer about summer, I guess. Very hard to turn geothermal into uh, air conditioning without. And electricity is an uh, intermediate step. 
But in our day, we had so much cheap hydro in Washington, we wasted it on the internet. Uh, we were at <laughs> Omnibus Project on various social media platforms. Look for at Ken Jennings or at John Roderick. Uh, you could email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Send us physical items at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Uh, Like-minded futurelings would congregate on various platforms. Share your memories of blackouts. Hmm. I had a... The power used to go out sometimes in Seoul when I was a kid. The grid wasn't super good at night. Oh. We got up on it. We went up on our roof one time because when the city was dark, you could actually see stars, which was was rare in a big Asian metropolis That's in, cool. in the 80s, a, a smoggy, bright Asian metropolis. So we'd go up to the roof of our apartment building and see stars. And one night, um, um, I think my dad just started, you know, a bunch of people were up on the various roofs of the apartments. And my dad started making like animal noises and you, we would hear like oinking and neighing and mooing coming back. And the next morning I was talking to one of my friends on the school bus and I said, we went up on our roof and he was like yeah we did the same thing he was like and then we were up there some idiot started doing animal noises so we started doing it back <laughs> <laughs> and that my, started a whole tradition in korea that eventually yeah, produced an amazing, gangnam style an amazing hip-hop scene came out of that mm-hmm. uh, that outlet and it's uh, novelty animal noises gangnam style what was i even saying oh the futurelings are online sharing their blackout stories on facebook and whatnot uh Patreon.com is perhaps the most rarefied and elite and luxurious opportunity of all. It's the Studio 54 of all of our uh, uh, message boards and fora. The Studio 54 in 1980, not the Studio 54 in 1977. It's the Studio 54 today, which is now uh, a Broadway theater. Yeah, I that, just saw, that almost certainly is showing the Phantom of the Opera. I saw Tracy Lutz's new play there a couple months ago. Oh, nice. Uh, and then I went to Phantom, of course. Just yes, of course. a little palate cleanser. The uh, show could not exist without the support of our generous Patreon donors. You can check up on all the fun content you're missing with your your Scottish thriftiness by going to patreon.com slash omnibusproject and maybe you'll be, uh, maybe your head will be turned. Maybe in a moment of weakness, you will become an ongoing contributor and... Uh, and cease to feel so guilty during this part of the outro. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. We wish you many goods and cheese, and hope you come see us often. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.